Hey everyone, I'm Jamie. And I'm Andrea, or as most people call me, Anj. And this is Trendish. We'll be covering relationships, faith, leadership, health, and everything in between. I'll definitely troll. And I'll probably cry. And we're so glad you're here to witness the whole thing. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. This is our Q&A part two. Part two, because we had so many great questions. So many great questions. We couldn't get through all of them. So, so we had to do time. a second. Yep, we had to do a second one. Yep. And I kind of like these. I like the, like, shorter topics. Not everything fits in a short topic, and probably every short topic we could fit into a full episode, but True. it is kind of nice to, like, hit a bunch of different things. And, like, questions people actually have. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Always great. So let's just dive in. Okay. Let's talk about the pandemic and the FOMO of it all and the depression of it all. Did you experience any of that last year? Um, I feel like we've talked about this on that 2020 episode, the review of 2020. FOMO, I don't, I mean, I feel like there's two parts to, three parts to the pandemic. There was one part when the entire world at large was locked down. Yeah. There was not much FOMO I felt like I was missing outside of like, you know, if you had bought a concert ticket or like a your vacation that is kind of FOMO Mm -hmm. but also the whole world was literally shut down so it did not feel as it's weird because I thought that would be like the hardest time in our life Mm -hmm. I think the months after that was actually harder so then there was like the second time of I guess anticipation of FOMO and I guess that's when things slowly start opening up but not quite yeah and like some people were quarantined but not yeah like some stores were open but not so like I could have FOMO I couldn't get to yeah couldn't get to Trader Joe's because they're, they're not open yet, but... And who wants to wait in that line? Can I just say it? Yeah, right. Even Aldi, like, right from the building one time. So that stuff's open, but it's not... So then I think there was, like, more anticipation for, for FOMO. And then there was the third phase, for us at least, where everything is starting to open back up, and then we actually got quarantined, just like me and John and Liam. Uh-huh. Yeah, I hit a lot of those points in those 10 days. I have to say, thankfully, that stuff doesn't, like, linger with me. So pretty much on the 10th day, I was like, it's freedom! Or 11th day. It's freedom. Mm -hmm. Thank God, you know. Yeah. But in those 10 days, yeah, all of those things that hit, it's just weird to think about because I I don't look back at that whole season and feel like I had different, like, depression or FOMO. Yeah. But in this season of, like, actual quarantine where the rest of the world was not, that was hard. Yeah. So I can imagine for a lot of families who have to do that right now, like with health or with family members or something, that is, yeah, hard. Or people like in California or New York where they're yeah, like where it's still not. not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. Still working from home. Yep. I yeah. think it's always hard to know when you're in a fog, in the middle of the fog. Yeah. Like I think it always happens to me around March where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm coming out of seasonal depression. Even before 2020. Yes. For you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me. Just, just March. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, like, forget how much winter, like, actually affects my state of being. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, the quarantine time is not for the faint of heart. No. I don't, I'm, I think I did it twice. You did it twice? Mm Mm-hmm. You only had COVID once. Right, but then I was exposed. Oh, that was the third one. I was, yes, that's the thing I was talking about, where it's like everybody I think has hit their point where they're like quarantined, and then you have the like, either have it or I'm exposed, quarantine part two, whatever. Yep. It's terrible. Yep. And it, it was hilarious. Like, any time I tried to do anything last year, the second before I was yeah. going to do it, you've been exposed. That it, is, I mean, <gasps> let me just say, is Jamie 
dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's actually not exaggerating on um, this. I mean, probably like, five times. Like, we have one quick overnight trip planned, hour away, no big deal. Because previous <laughs> trips have been canceled, so we just, so like, want to breath. it. <laughs> Wake up 5 a.m. that morning, Ange. I have a sore throat. <laughs> And me wanting to be the responsible human that I try to be was like, I probably shouldn't go because I don't want to get you sick. I don't want to get other people sick. And I mean the whole year. The whole year was like that. Mm -hmm. You did end up having, actually having COVID the one time, but. Yep. Yeah. So I feel like that question really correlates to you. Mine was very just in quarantine, but it really was like, I was like truly thinking about people who that have been like that since March. Yeah. I would have to be doing some, I had it, I'm a walker now, even now out of quarantine, I go on walks like uh-huh. 45 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. So it did actually implement some rhythms in my life. I'm kind of grateful now for now because I never used to do that. But yeah. Um, yeah, at large, it that that part of it is definitely hard. And I know a lot of families who have to do that right now. So And the it's fascinating. It's like, it's hard in different ways. Like Yes, e- you, every one of those was hard. Yeah. For you, it was like, you couldn't get away from... My toddler. Two-year-old. Yeah, we can say it, my toddler. Yeah. Quarantine yourself with a two-year-old and it will test your mental health. Like, mm-hmm. a two-year-old who doesn't understand that anyone is sick and it's just, like, asking for his friends and he's asking for school and yeah. he wants to go to the park. I mean, I think that's probably why it, it's not just what you would laugh at, like, being quarantined with a two-year-old, but I think you're also holding their emotions. Mm-hmm. I think that's why my, then it, my mental health felt even lower. It's like, I'm holding the emotions for a two-year-old. And for myself, neither of us are sick. My my husband had quarant- or COVID, but of course, he and I didn't. But we all quarantined. And um, that was, like, probably the hardest part of it, was, like, trying to manage the emotions for both people. Mm-hmm. And then you have people that don't have a family, and it's, like, just utter loneliness. Because yeah. they, they can't see anyone. Oh, um, it's still loneliness for the two-year-old. Yeah. But, like, you're surrounded by people, so it's, like, different. Which, I mean... That's the scariest is when you're still surrounded by people and you feel the loneliest. That's I was like, just about to say, not, I don't know, actually. That has nothing to do with quarantining or FOMO or anything like that. I'm just talking about loneliness. Yeah, now. I know. That's what I think that is such a misconception. Motherhood is the loneliest thing I've ever done in my life. Ever. I've never felt more alone when I was, I mean, anything, when I was single, when I was whatever, as like the first maybe three months that I had Liam. Mm-hmm. And honestly, even the pregnancy leading up to it, never felt more, more alone. Never. Yeah. No, I would, I would hang my hat on that statement. Interesting. We're veering off topic here, but I'd like to dive <laughs> yeah, into this. Yeah, this is not part of our Q&A. <laughs> is there anything that would have helped you not be lonely? Or do you feel like it was literally inevitable because you've never gone through it before? Motherhood is lonely in general, but I think it is because it really is hard. I don't know. I would love to have, like, an additional mom on here to, like, talk to this more than just myself. I think it's hard because it really... Whether you're a working mom, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're somewhere in between that, it is really hard to find, like, to give yourself permission to do something for you. Mm-hmm. But especially in those, like, first early months of actually having a baby, there's not, even if you wanted to give yourself permission, Target is the furthest you can mm-hmm. get before you have to, like, pump again. Yeah. Or before the baby has to nap again or, you know, whatever. Yeah, your window of time is literally <clears throat> so small mm-hmm. that and, you can't. Yeah. And honestly, at that point, what in the time frame I'm talking about, I was one of our only close friends who had ever even had a baby. So I I just don't think like single or married, I don't think either of those versions of my friends really knew how to like 
No clue. They dropped off food, no but clue. that was it. You know what I mean? I had one friend who came over almost like every Thursday and just like sat in our living room with us for like two hours. And that was like probably one of the biggest things I remember in that time. And she did nothing. Sometimes, I mean, she didn't like always bring food. It was like nothing. It was just the time of being there. And you're but a quality I, time person. So like that matters to you. Yeah. Yeah. And there were definitely times where, you know, you don't need that. Like there was definitely times we did not need people in our house. But yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's something that makes it better is, yeah, like people, I don't know, just jumping into your life and like helping you interact. But you even just said it, like you can still be surrounded by people and still Mm -hmm. feel so lonely. Like in a, in a sense, that friend who was single still couldn't fully relate to like where I was at. And so it still feels, I think you could say the same for singleness too. Like just because I'm here with you doesn't mean I can empathize with you on singleness. And and in a way that is still lonely because I'm not, I can't go through that with you. And honestly, it's just very rare that you have another friend who literally gave birth in the same time frame you did that's ever really going through that with you. Sometimes yeah. you do, and I really think that's such a blessing, even though you're probably never going to see each other because you both just had a new infant. Yeah. But, like, there's still something really helpful to that. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. At large, I just think availability is pretty huge. And I, I mean, I think, too, not even just related to, like, babies or pregnancy, like, there is something so powerful about shared understanding. Mm-hmm. Like... To know that somebody gets it. Yeah. They've seen it. They've been through it. They've walked through it. And so, I don't know. There's just like, oh, I can take a breath because somebody else knows the craziness and the hard parts and also the great parts of this. Right. And like I said, that could be about anything in life. It could be, yeah. Yeah. And even like in this season, I think that's one thing I was lacking at that time. And so that could have, maybe that would have been the thing that attributed to loneliness. I really don't know. But yeah, I think there's something powerful to that. Mm-hmm. Well, next question. I don't even know. what. Where do we start with the net? Yeah. <laughs> the pandemic. Yeah. yeah the so pandemic. so loneliness. That feels like a good transition. Mm-hmm. The next question, kind of unrelated, so we're jumping here, but uh, is how do you stop holding grudges? I don't feel like you're a grudge holder. I'm just going to say that. I'm just happy you said it for me because yeah. I was like, I don't really have, like, a lot of... Yeah. I think the biggest grudges I hold are for myself, to myself. I don't know if this is an eight thing or not or just my personality type, but I am way more prone to self-hatred than even giving my permission to myself to feel anger towards someone else for something that happened. Like, I'll always turn it around back on me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So does that count? Like, grudges to yourself? Is that part of the... <laughs> I mean, sure. It's just so fascinating because, like, I I mean, obviously I'm not in your brain, so I don't know everything that you think, but, like, it, you, you just don't show that side of yourself to, like, I don't know, I guess you probably show it to John, but you hold that pretty closely. <laughs> so I just, I don't know, I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely do. I still don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's not safe to share. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I, I sh- I'm saying it like that, but I also don't think it's a thing I focus on a lot. Like, I don't sit there and think like, oh my gosh, I just hate myself so much. It's so. like, no, I know. It's, it's almost like a worth thing. Yes, for sure. But in my And I, I know that your brain can't understand this, so you're definitely not in mine. But for me, if I don't think about it, I never have to say it because it's just not there. Is that true? Is that healthy? No, I'm not recommending that to anyone. Raise the red flag, people. <laughs> I'm just saying I think how I can get away with it is, like, if I'm sitting around my friends and I'm, like, I'm never thinking about, if I'm even sitting with you and we're talking about something, that stuff is never in my head. I'm yeah. Not, I'm never, like, meditating on just how much I, 
But when I'm like sitting in like a therapy session or something and peeling back the layers, that is typically what's at the root. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it doesn't just come out in like conversation or in epiphanies. I really have to work to like get to the root of that. And so I think the grudges that I could hold for myself have probably contributed to more pain in my life than grudges I've really held to other people. To other people, yeah. Mm. What about for you? Well, I'm not... We might be a little different. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I won't lie and say that I've never held a grudge. Um, I've, but I've held a grudge. I'm not... Yeah. I've definitely held a grudge. No, I'm not saying you haven't. Yeah. But I would say I do it more uh, readily. And I don't love that about myself. So <laughs> please have some grace, people. I, I've had moments, even as of late, where I'm like, you can respond as you always have, and that's valid. If you want to do that, sure. Nobody's going to stop you from doing that. But I think for me, I've been, like, trying to ask myself, is that really going to, is that really mature? Like, is that really <laughs> going to help you? Sure, yeah. And the answer is uh, always no. <laughs> it's not. So for me, I'm trying to be better about, like, walking through the scenario and walking through, like, what someone else, you know, was thinking on the other side. And not to say that people don't wrong you and there isn't a valid reason for that, but, yeah, I would say that's definitely something I have to be very, like, consciously aware of because my personality is very prone to, like, withdraw if I'm hurt so I mean I'm just gonna yeah I'm just gonna leave the room for a while um metaphorically speaking so I think for me it's helped me walk through like in my head is it valid that I feel this how is this helping me how is this hurting me what do I need to do in order to like let go of this and yeah I think I've seen where that has actually helped me stay unstuck Mm -hmm. i think those um i was telling somebody this the other day but i I literally think counseling for me was literally almost more educational than it even was like processing yeah because for someone like me i did i i i am still mind blown at how much i didn't and still don't understand emotions especially in the way that someone like you does (laughs) just great Uh for each other but i remember the first time somebody asked me like how how do you think that emotion was protecting you i was like say it again (laughs) (laughs) what was that (laughs) well emotion and then it's like this whole so i really love i'm just saying that to highlight those like three questions you just said and i can't even i I know one of them is like how is this helping how is this emotion whatever this is grudge whatever Mm -hmm. helping me how's it hurting me Mm -hmm. what's it trying to tell me i mean when i started thinking about it like oh they actually might want to, like, help me. Yeah. I I had, like, anxiety. I had a whole different mindset on. Yeah. Like, that it's not just always trying to hurt me. It's trying to remind me something's important. Mm-hmm. I, I was 27 years old. 27 <laughs> oh, years old. years old. <laughs> when I learned that anxiety could be helping me to remind me, like, yeah. that thing is important. Yeah. Like, we can tell it thank you for helping us and remind us. Mm-hmm. And it... Like, you don't have to scream it and push it away. You don't have to suppress it. No. Like, suppression never works. No. My favorite example that <laughs> my counselors use for that 
I was talking about anxiety and she's like, okay, so what do you, you know, what do you say when that comes up? And I'm like, like, just stop, go away. I'm trying to do something, you know? Yeah. And she's like, okay, good. So if Liam comes in the room and he's screaming, just screaming, is it True helpful? story. <laughs> this is, yeah. <laughs> is it helpful for you to say, Liam, oh my gosh, just stop, go away. Like, does he go away? Is that helpful? Does he quiet down? And I, she, I'm laughing because now I know what mm-hmm. she's saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, no, not always. And she's like, oh. Okay, well, we could say most of the time he probably gets louder and it probably gets worse. And I'm like, yes. So then she, you know, obviously, like, so what would you tell Liam in that? And it, it just blew my mind to think about mm-hmm. something that simple. Mm-hmm. That you're probably like, yeah, I learned that when I was four and a half and I was jumping. No. <laughs> puddles. No, I didn't. But it, I mean, it just said, say it's really helpful. So if you didn't get those questions, I would just like rewind it and write it down. Because I find that to be extremely helpful whether it's grudge forgiveness related or mm-hmm. anxiety and stress really I don't know anger related I think that there's something that is trying to tell you and all of those things probably even some of your grudges are trying to tell you yep yeah all that to say suppression is never helpful no not for your two-year-old not for you amen sister okay so somebody wrote down they wanted more I don't know, info on vulnerability. And I know I saw something recently kind of trying to decipher the difference between vulnerability and transparency. And I mean, I love that concept. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that. It's basically about the concept of transparency and vulnerability are closely entwined concepts, but each one engages users in a unique way. Transparency is how much information you share while vulnerability is the truth and meaning behind your actions and words. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, um, even for me and my personality specifically, they'll, they'll think that I'm being vulnerable because I'm sharing authentically and openly where that's seriously not true. (laughs) Like just because I'm sharing about my feelings, I mean, I could do that in my sleep. So that doesn't yeah, necessarily mean I'm being vulnerable. Right. Do you think, would you agree with that for yourself? I think some of that could be true for me. I think what's more true for me is that, and I had someone in my life point this out, but I would be very op- open or vulnerable specifically with a crowd. And mm-hmm. that is typically, that felt like vulnerability. That sounded like vulnerability and authenticity. And honestly, it was because I meant every word of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't just make that up to share it. But she pointed out that it was always something I had already processed and gotten all the way around, which I don't think is bad. I actually think that that is helpful to do when being both transparent and or vulnerable, especially in healthy leadership. But it was also something interesting. She pointed out that you only share stuff like that with a crowd that can't hurt you. Hmm. So it was like, if I'm speaking and I'm in control of the whole room and I get to sway the conversation then wherever I want or leave whatever points I want, I will literally be almost as vulnerable and transparent so long as I actually do think I've kind of walked all the way around it. It's not my first time sharing it. But then put me in a room with my husband and I'm like, I just didn't like it. (laughs) Period. I didn't like that you said it. (laughs) Okay, Andrea. So now are we being vulnerable and transparent or well, no, because now he will also, he can respond to me. He can say something that could hurt me. And um so for me it's more of a protection thing i think is the difference between the two that makes sense so i could pretend to be really transparent with him that's where i think it gets different is like protection versus not protection rather than like 
vulnerability versus transparency that both do kind of feel similar in my world but i do think the motive also kind of plays a part in that whose motive oh mine if i'm sharing it i would think they'd be like my motive as well Mm -hmm. on like if i'm being vulnerable or transparent so how how do you maintain a posture of vulnerability knowing that that may not be a safe space for you or like something that comes naturally I don't know that it comes naturally to anyone let me just say like vulnerability is hard and it should be like mm-hmm. if it's easy it's probably not that vulnerable but I, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna sit here and be the <laughs> right. judge of your own vulnerability it just you know in my own life it's, the things that are really hard to say your heart's racing my heart's racing <laughs> I've recently learned in the last few years that I break out if I'm nervous so I've probably like broken out on my neck and um yeah anyway go ahead and answer the question I love and stand by something Brene Brown says on this, actually. And she basically says that healthy vulnerability is if you are sharing something that you have, this is not your first time sharing it. That is your Mm -hmm. healthy vulnerability. So if I'm not vomiting all over a person or all over a crowd, and granted, there's relation, I don't want to say person because there are people, we should probably bring that to sometimes. But I'm more so thinking about like leadership and kind of at large or in a setting where, I don't know, vulnerability or transparency, either one, obviously costs something a little more in that. I've just been really careful to never share something that I have not already shared before, that hasn't, that I haven't already worked through, which I guess is kind of just what I said earlier, but yeah. like, I think that's how I stay there is doing the work on your own. And if I'm not doing the work on my own, and I also am not going to share things I haven't already kind of processed in my mind then how am I really going to share anything because I'm not doing anything on my own to process anything, to have anything to share. You know what I mean? Mm Kind of like a a cycle in that sense. So I guess my short and maybe obvious super sugar-coated answer to that is like you have to do the work Mm -hmm. yourself if you actually want to stay vulnerable in the true way and transparent in that true sense as well. Yeah. I think she frames that concept in a way of like if you – are reliant upon a crowd's response in your own healing. Yes. Then you shouldn't share it. <clears throat> and you... I would say that about crowd or two people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is, yes, that is the second part to that that I really like. Yeah. I guess I never care that much about it because I'm trying to protect so hard that I'm like, you better not tell me anything. I don't want to hear a freaking thing to anything uh-huh. that I just said. <laughs> So the first part has always been more true to me than the second, but that is so good. I think that that is so important for like leaders, families, friends. I don't know. That is such an, that's a helpful concept. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, helping myself or making sure that I'm staying vulnerable where it's obviously safe, I think I have to recognize and be aware of, I can very much come across as being vulnerable when I'm maybe not Mm -hmm. actually being. So because of, I don't know, my natural inclination, I suppose, I think I can come across as being like a, yeah, pretty transparent, which can be seen as vulnerable sometimes. So I have to be, yeah, I guess pretty like aware of who are the people that I feel safe with to be vulnerable with. Sure. And what is the setting where it allots for it. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think you, I think it's interesting on social media now, people just share whatever they want. Whole different ballgame, yeah. Yeah. And I share. Mm-hmm. I'll share my reflections or things mm-hmm. that I've worked through or 
am walking through, but they're not usually like the core depths of mm-hmm. my shame mm-hmm. or what's eating me. Mm-hmm. I think the toughest thing of social media is that that is another thing that will always come down to motive especially in terms of transparency and vulnerability. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Two people could share almost the same, like, in-depth of vulnerable posts. And to me, it looks the same, feels the same, but, you know, thinks the same. Mm -hmm. One person shared it because they see social media as, like, their diary. They never look at it again. They're the person that's okay with five likes on their picture. And, like, they're moving on with their life. Mm -hmm. And the other person, same quote, like, same amount of time spent on it, whatever, is thinking all day about who's responding, constantly checking it, seeing who has, like, either applauded or rejected it. And you just, you can't, you can't decide that for people. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you which of those two people that was. But they can. Right. And so that is, that is just where the self-awareness is really tricky. Not just on social media. I think that's also true in speaking to a crowd or speaking to three people or speaking because again i think that can look exactly the same someone walked off that Mm -hmm. stage never thinking about it again someone else walked off that stage thinking about all the things that they hope somebody does or doesn't say to them Mm -hmm. so again you just you off social media you can't you can't decide that motive for somebody but we have to be really healthy and self-aware enough that we do decide that for ourselves yeah i was gonna say the key word there is self-aware yeah and if you're not self-aware, maybe get around some people that are, <laughs> that will call you out on it, and then trust that you trust. Because I think self-awareness might be the key to life. I think the biggest step before you even find the people is decide if you actually want to be. Don't find people if you don't actually want to be self-aware. But it's, like, I know some non-self-aware people they don't know they're not self-aware so it's, it's like the chicken and the egg do they not know they're self-aware because they don't want to know that they're self-aware and so they stay unself-aware for me i'm asking people in my life so like even if i'm unself-aware i think that still steps towards if i'm asking people i do actually want to be the same people who i feel like i know in my life who are also not self-aware have never once asked <laughs> i've never heard them ask another individual uh-huh. if they're self-aware mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I have so many oh, yeah. awareness points in my life that I'm still working oh, on yeah. that I need more accountability and that I'm trying to figure out who to ask more about. But I'm just saying, I, I also think that's something, again, you have to decide for yourself. Like, there's only so much a podcast is going to do for you. There's only so much yeah. a therapist is going to do for you. There's only so much a friend is going to do for you before you just decide, before I find the people, before I might find the mentor, before I find this, like, I'm going to actually take the painful step to acknowledge how aware I actually am. Mm-hmm. Also, fun fact, there is a test, <laughs> if we like tests, mm-hmm. but have you seen the emotionally intelligent, man, if Sam was back on this, he'd be ra- raving about this, but it's like, emo- it's, I can't, I don't think it's the same people it's, who did Strength Fighter, I can't remember, but it's like emotional intelligence 2.0 or something, I don't know, it's literally a test that tells you how emotionally aware you actually are. What's the scale? And it is fascinating. So, there, the test that I'm talking about is a book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0, and the authors are Travis Bradbury and Jean Greaves. Um, Forward is by Patrick Lencioni, so, like, you've got to know this is a valid book. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to write a forward if it's not. But it it is similar, if you're familiar with Strength Finders at all, where, like, you actually take a test and then have to read through. That's why, to say the scale is kind of hard, like what you just asked. Mm -hmm. But um, 
you all you almost have to read through the book to determine what all of those things mean. But I've had some people who I personally deem as really self-aware in my life be like, man, I am that test. I feel like I have no emotional intelligence whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know. This is something we could dive into later, but I also don't know the difference between emotional intelligence and self-awareness. But all I'm saying is when you're actually looking at your life, are you doing things like that? And I think that tells you how self-aware you're trying to be. Yeah. Yeah. If you're taking emotionally intelligent tests, if you're asking, genuinely asking the people around you, if you're asking your, I don't know, family, therapist, counselor, whatever, I don't know. I think those are just all ways to measure self-awareness in an authentic way. Mm-hmm. And so, also I recommend the book. And since you brought up Patrick Lencioni, he actually has an episode, I don't know if you've listened to it, where he talks about vulnerability in the workplace. Yes. I mean, so good. Honestly, like, all of his podcasts are Yeah, good. but yeah. like I think I remember seeing the title and being like i don't understand how these (laughs) things really go together but i I really recommend it it's really practical and good and yeah i mean i I can't summarize the whole thing but it was just helpful to hear him kind of share like how it actually makes the workplace better and how when you are vulnerable in a work setting it gives people context for where you're coming from Okay, so if you're into that, then I know I've said it before, but like, gosh, I stand by this book. Then you should just pick up, go ahead and just pick it up. Dare to Lead by Brene, Br- by Brene Brown. It is not because it's Brene Brown, so don't go trolling me because I li- like, love Brene Brown. That is the most practical, I'd maybe even say above that episode, though I like that that's a podcast, so it's different. But the most practical book that has ever made vulnerability so relatable to me as a leader, workplace or not, like... It is, she has practices, she has exercises that you take yourself through, that you take your team through. Seriously, so good. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're already on what's trending, but this is what's trending in the <laughs> yeah. self-awareness and vulnerability world. Obviously, if you don't know her, she is kind of the queen of trademark vulnerability, but she has a lot of great books, but I'm telling you that is the most practical one mm-hmm. in the same way that Patrick's pod- podcast is. It reminds me a little bit of like our conversation with Amber where she was like, I'm not leading from this like awesome place. I'm leading from the place that like, I don't know what I'm doing. And it just like disarms people. So it does. Um, I mean, yeah, hundred percent. this isn't vulnerable, but the other day at work, um, I was having a meeting with some of my student workers and as it was ending, I like went around my desk over my, by where my whiteboard was, ripped my pants. <laughs> right in front of him. You didn't tell me that that was in front of students. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. 20 minutes into my day. I had meetings till 3.30. <sighs> wow. Yeah. So that's, that's how I lead, though. I mean, what you see is what you get. I am not... I am not this awesome, great, put-together person. So, yeah. Anyway. And... No leaders are, honestly. Yeah. Like, let's just freaking call it what it is. They might sound really great and communicate strong, but they're not, so. Yeah. So th- this kind of transitions into a work setting. So we have a, f- a couple questions about work. Um, the first one being, how do you work with what you have in a work setting? I'm going to answer that question, but I'm also going <laughs> to derail us because I, I just want to point this out. Okay. You said... You were talking about vulnerability, and you're like, well, when when I think about it in the workplace, like, you know, I never thought about it like this way before. Whenever anybody asks me about vulnerability, I only think about the workplace. What? I only think about leading. Like, that is why I've had, like, I've, never, I've had to I circle mean, around 
conversations with my counselor so much on vulnerability. She's like, so what about outside of work? So like, what about outside of, (laughs) so, and then I'm like, well, where else are you, where else is that vulnerable? My jaw's on the ground, everyone. (laughs) Uh, this is actually i'm just being honest no. i i didn't want to derail us but when you said that i was like what do you mean you never think about like that is literally all i think about no but this is like so fascinating because it's this is like the dichotomy of who we are as friends <laughs> and like how we view ourselves. like you look at yourself as a leader and i look at myself as like just a person <laughs> it's not even like leading it just like the workplace is where i where I go, whether it's leading or not. Like, I'm not in charge of what I'm over right now. I'm just on a team and but like, if we you're, follow our leader and it's good, great, but... Like, if you're writing a list of your top, you know, 10, like, who is Andrea? On that list of 10, I guarantee you, leader is on there. I don't know if I would put leader on mine, but I know that I am one, but I just don't, you, like, naturally go with How that do you current. know that you are one, but you don't naturally go? You can't, you just contradict yourself. No, I, I know I am one, but I'm not one. No, that's I what you just said. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Okay. When you play this back, you're gonna say, "Okay, fine, I did." Uh, all I'm saying is, I think it's fascinating that you like attribute vulnerability most easily to work. Me, it's no, it's like my personal life. I know that is where we, yeah. And now that I'm understanding this, I think we're answering initially the vulnerability and transparency questions very differently. (laughs) Because, well, now as we know, friends, thank you for staying with us and sticking with us to this place. But but Jamie and I also see vulnerability as two different things. (laughs) Yeah, we do. I mean, the goal, like the heart of it, though, like the meat of what vulnerability is, is the same. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think Any, it's just funny that, that where our brain th- goes. Anything that makes you want to throw up, probably vulnerable. Yeah. Check it off the list. So I guess I just want to throw up at work more than in my personal life. Yeah. Huh. I'm probably opposite. <laughs> it's probably balanced. I was about to say, now. I don't it's, know. Now it's probably balanced. I don't know. Yeah. Man, that's so interesting. Okay, I think... So y- Sorry, I was just going to say, I think my reasoning for that, I don't actually know. I'm actually trying to think, like, why do I only go there? I think it does come down to maybe, like, some innate fears I have, though. And I have always feared that I would be a leader that would, like, have this traumatic fall of some sort. Now we're talking about vulnerability. I don't actually know if I want to get into this. <laughs> I think we just cut it. Uh-uh. Go to the next question. Nope, nope, nope. nope. <laughs> Unpack that for us. I've never had a fear that I'm going to, like, be a mom who walks away from her family. Have I thought about escaping to a beach? Absolutely. <laughs> get out yeah. But I've never had a fear that I'm going to be like, I don't know, I just don't think I'm going to be a wife to do that. I'm not saying I couldn't be, but I'm saying when I say innate fear, that's not not where my mind goes. Right. My innate fear has always been like, there have been so many leaders who could be so much better than me. And if they could fall to literally anything, I am not any different. I don't know where that comes from. But because of that, I think so much of my health has been geared toward that direction, probably because it's fear that drives me to pour more into that than where I feel more secure in an odd sense, which is at home, at home in my family. Would never think I would do something like that. Or, okay, that's actually not true. I actually have thought about that. I could do something like that before too. But there's, for some reason, there's more fear. There's more awareness on the family side, but there's more fear driven, I think, on the work side. And it causes me probably then to be a lot more aware of vulnerability to be a lot more aware of who I make accountable in my life 
in the workplace, which really all bleeds together. So I feel silly saying that because like I want to be accountable in the workplace so I don't do something that ruins my marriage. So it really does all bleed together. But for some reason, I've always thought to myself, like, if my marriage is going to fall apart, it's going to be because of something that I did or some kind of thing I'm attributing to work. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't explain it. But anyway, I think that's why I've, my, in my mind, vulnerability and transparency and the work I've done go so in that direction because it's probably the direction I'm the most afraid of. Hmm. Do we really have to put that out there? Yes, we do. <laughs> do you want me to match it? I can. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mine has nothing to do with work. Well, not, in, not inherently. Could, could we, you know, see the same scenario in a work setting? Yes. But for me, it's sure. more like I feel the most vulnerable when I am thinking and feeling that I'm too much for a person or not enough for them. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to want to be with me because I'm just too much to handle mm-hmm. or I'm not what they actually want. Mm-hmm. So yes, that can very much like bleed into a work setting, but it's not, that's not the setting I am drawn to, or that's not the setting that I think about most readily right. when I think about that yeah, because that feels more interpersonal. Yeah. Than like you falling on some kind of Pedis- off a pedestal. Yeah. I am worried about that too, though. <laughs> I was thinking that in my head. But <laughs> I only, I mean, I pretty much that's what I was just saying about myself. So like, I understand that, but but I don't know where that comes from or why that's there. Anyway, I'll just say I don't know either, along. and I'd really be totally fine just cutting out the last twenty minutes. Truly, if you're playing this back, I'm really great with that. <laughs> that only leaves us about twenty minutes. <laughs> well, we have more questions to answer, so let's There's do it again. Like one more. Okay. Well, you derailed us, so <laughs> it, the question was: How do you work with what you have in a work setting? How do I work with what I have? You said with you wanted people, to answer. You said you I, wanted to answer this. One. I you did right I, away. I did. I was in it. My thought of resources, and in yes. the previous job I was in, the resources were the most limited. I mean, minimal. you know, minimal, minimal, no resources. Correct. Find donations. You, you become get your friends own with resources. the Starbucks owner. Owner like donation. I mean, figure it out. <laughs> um, and the one and the first an- answer that pops to my mind when you ask that is delegation. Like, how do I work with what I have? I learned how to really be a master delegator, not a master dumper. Honestly, delegation took takes me more time in my job than in that setting. It took me more time in my job than it took me to almost do anything else. Yep. So I don't like when sometimes people attribute delegation to like, oh, you're just giving them what you don't want to do. Honestly, I did do that sometimes, but I also knew that that is something they love to do. I was very careful and it wasn't to not yours try. To do. And I didn't have to. Yeah, yeah. like, I'm going to, why am I going to do that just to feel important? Like, why no. am I going to stifle you from learning how to do this? No. And also myself from learning how to teach you to do it. Right. So does delegation take more time up front? For me, it absolutely it did. Did Same. the training take more front for me? Absolutely it did. But how did I work with my resources? Instead of me trying to, like, be the superhero and call all these people and figure out all their problems, I brought six other, what we did have available to us was workers. That was, mm-hmm. like, the one thing we had to work with. So we were limited in every other way about workers. So I utilized them and I delegated. Like, they called five Starbucks each to find what we needed for the next day's event, as opposed to, again, me being the superhero and trying to, like, figure it out and find it out. So I think in the past I've worked with what I've had has truly been, one, observing the strengths around me, which I think we get, you know, people really get on a personality test for and stuff like that. 
I am genuinely so intrigued by what people are good at. And I really feel like as a leader, mm-hmm. I use that to my advantage mm-hmm. to then delegate. So I've learned what they're good at. I've learned what they like. Like I take the time to really, at least I would like to say I did when I was leading in that way, take the time to figure out what they like. And then from there, like I delegated it. And I truly think that is how we capitalize on some of the best resources we found. And lastly, giving them the freedom to execute it. So there were some things, uh, yeah, that sounded too pretty. (laughs) And I was like, it was never that easy. But let me think, oh, yeah, that's right. Then I had to give them the freedom to execute it. And sometimes it failed. Sometimes they had put the coffee order in for 5 p.m. instead of 5 Mm a.m. And we just either didn't have it or had to reroute like around it or figure something else out. I'm using coffee as a very easy example here. But there is something to be said about learning strengths and weaknesses, learning likes and dislikes, delegating accordingly, not to get it off your plate, but delegating it to the best possible person it could go to, mm-hmm. and then letting that person feel empowered to either succeed or fail. And you being okay with, as a leader, being able to say, I was over that, I was over that person, I will take that, what did we learn? I got way too leadership beat yeah, on that part. That, <laughs> yes, and it, I'm going to derail Sorry. us just for a second here, but I listened to a a podcast the other day. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I yeah, said that, honestly, goodness. Especially this episode. But they, it was, I think it was Craig Groeschel. And I swear on best. both Anjani's life, we listen to more than just leadership things. <laughs> but. <laughs> I really is, do. I've been into some yeah, other stuff lately. Yeah. I mean, so we are humans that like other things, <laughs> but we also do lead at work. So it matters. All that to say, Craig was talking about, I think it was early on for him. And I he tasked this girl that she had to fail three times within a certain amount of time because she just like did not feel like she had like the space to and he was like you have to oh yeah you're not gonna continue on if you don't fail and he did that so she understood that it was a safe place to fail and that is not normal you can't but you cannot that's what i respect about him is that he meant it Yes. I cannot, I have a very hard time with leaders to say, this is a safe place to fail. And then when you fail, you're you reprimanded. You get the third degree. It's like, well, tell me, or they're trying to make it a life lesson. I'm using air quotes, uh-huh. but it's very critical, condescending. That is not safe. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think we, the people who I worked with in the role that I'm talking about too, we really try to hang our hat, hats as well on that same concept of like being, a, having it be a safe place to fail. But I have to say that was hard. It was so cute to say, like, such an encouraging little vision. Yeah. And then, like, they actually did the opposite of what I wanted. And I was like, <laughs> God. <laughs> so, I mean, you don't hit it on the mark every time. But no. I really appreciate that he, like, can exemplify that. Mm-hmm. Because that is hard. Such yes. a cute message. Easy. Love it. Hire all the people with the message. Yeah. But, man, like, I'm really impressed that he could live it out like that, too. And I think I only... I'm not tooting my own horn. I don't know that a lot of people have... I I don't think I've had a lot of power for people to fail under me. But I think the only reason I would even be able to allow someone else to fail safely is because I've been under leaders that have allowed me to fail safely. You have to. Yeah. And then leadership really streams upward too. So from that leading from the middle, kind of what we've talked about between you and I, which we really should do an episode on... um, then it gets tricky because it's like if I'm trying to manage these three people below me, like it's okay, it's okay, it's safe to fail. But I know that if mm-hmm. the curtains aren't ironed at this event, whatever the issue is, 
my boss is going to come at me. Mm-hmm. I have to be, that means I have to be okay with failure. Like yeah. I have to be okay with saying, yeah, I missed that and not dump it on the person who I just told it was yes. safe to fail to and not actually cover them. But I actually have to take the covering and say like, we did, we'll hit that next time. And then to not like dump that, man, that is hard. Yeah, it is. It and honestly, I think that's probably where a lot of people are, are at right now because I don't think we have like 50 year olds listening to our podcast. So yeah. like, that is a dose of humility to say, like, it is such a safe place to fail that I'll fail with you. Yeah. Yikes. Ooh, let's hang our hat on that one. Let's just call it a day. So I guess it's how I've utilized my resources. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I think for me, I, I mean, I feel like you answered it well enough, so I won't go too deep into it. But I think for me... In order for me to understand how to use my resources, I need to first understand what is most important that I get done. And a lot of that is just priorit- prioritization. Like I need to yeah. know, is this really worth the time that it would take to do it? Right. If so, we will pull our hats together in our three brains and we will do the work. We'll delegate it. We'll split it up and we'll do it. But does it need to happen? Right. So. That is such a question I'm such a fan of. I work yeah. for dreamers. and Yeah, you do. But you really have to decide, like, what is worth the resource. So now it's not mm-hmm. just how do you work with what you have, but mm-hmm. how do you determine what you have is worth creating out of in those ways? Yep. Not every answer is a yes. It can't be. And not every answer is a no. It can't be. Yep. So the middle ground of the resources and the prioritizing. Mm-hmm. Does this help your mission? My mission? I'm just like, that's a question to ask yourself. Like, if, if it's worth, if it's worth I your time. like, we've talked about some deep things, but I have no idea what we've talked about. I don't like, have a it, life mission. Is it, is it like necessary for yes, the vision? Right. right. Yeah. If it is, you do it. Yeah. So last question. Man, I thought that was the last one. I feel like I've given it all I've got here today. Well, I'll let you choose which one you want to answer. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You can answer. You can ask. What does it look like to dream in disappointment? Okay, are you kidding? <laughs> I thought it was going to be like, what's your favorite food order? That one is on here. Okay. <laughs> but now that I asked it, people are going to be like, oh, I want to know. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it's annoying. Say it again. How do you dream in disappointment? I'll say two things first. One, we have a great episode on this. I think it's the first episode we ever did. Shattered dreams. Shattered dreams. Keys. Talk about disappointment. Uh-huh. Um, we probably sound like really young and different because I do think the audio has gotten a little better because James Rockstar, but I think it's a good episode. Mm-hmm. My second thing I would say is, what would you say? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know what? I think I would just say that it's actually okay to have a season where you don't dream. Mm-hmm. I think it's exhausting sometimes to live on this hamster wheel of like, what's next for me? Where am I headed in five years? What am I going to do in six months from now? Like, I think it's okay if you're sitting in a really dark season of disappointment to allow yourself the room to just, like, feel that fully. Mm-hmm. Like... Or to allow yourself to enjoy where you're at. Yeah. Like, honestly, even the opposite of that is true, too. Like, I I don't know that we always have to be on the hamster wheel of dreaming in the same way. Yeah. Whether it's for because we're so deeply disappointed we have to feel it. We're also because we're honestly in such a season of joy that we can feel that too. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's a good point both ways. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a challenge for me because yeah. I always am dreaming and I'm always <laughs> thinking there's a the grass is greener on the other side. 
So um, for me, I have to constantly remember and just be conscious of like what is feeding me right now. And I know the seasons where I'm like, I need to dream. So I need to get on the road and I need to take a, I need to get on an airplane and I need to go somewhere to reignite that in me. And then I also know the times where it's just like, I don't, I don't need this right now. Like I don't need to like force myself into la la land. Right. Like, that's not going to help me. That's probably just me disregarding what I'm currently feeling. This has always been, I think I said it in the episode I'm talking about that very first one we did, but this is honestly, I don't relate to this concept as much because I, I'm just not necessarily a dreamer in that, you know, sense mm-hmm. of the word. So it's hard for me to answer that question. But I think what I have learned about myself is I am I am just so much more strategy oriented. So I guess for me, I've maybe more so had to learn how to navigate like motivation to carry out the strategy amidst either disappointment or failure. Mm-hmm. So that might be how it looks just slightly different for me. I'm not saying I don't dream at all, but I just, I think I am a lot more driven by like a strategy and an outcome. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of seasons where I just have to be motivated to carry out whatever is like right for honestly that day mm-hmm. um and be okay if it fails and be okay if it's disappointing and be okay if it like succeeds or if it doesn't go according to the strategy we thought it would mm-hmm. i think that's a big thing i've had to learn yeah i wouldn't say strategy comes naturally to me but love that for you <laughs> <laughs> it is it's it is too high on my strengths sometimes yeah honestly yeah, because it's, it's not always helpful. But it's also helpful when I need it to be helpful. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would so. love to grow that in myself. Well, let's end with uh, an easy one. What's your go-to coffee or tea order? In all my seasons of life, this would change. But for me currently, today, on this day, yeah, I am loving the matcha green tea latte. I knew, I knew you were going to say some sort of green how tea. i haven't even ordered it with you because i just know you <laughs> you go through these weird stints where you just want tea and i just think it's gross it's but it's a it's the well it's matcha green tea and it's a matcha green tea latte so it's not just tea mm-hmm. it's not just a latte it's matcha green tea <laughs> latte <laughs> okay people write that down <laughs> it's a matcha green tea latte it's kind of like the best of all worlds you know you have the latte feel, but the tea... You have the caffeine. Yeah. Matcha has a lot of caffeine. I do like to order it without sugar. Yeah. It can be very sweet. Do you get it from Starbucks? Or where do you... Like, where, what where, place are you talking about? I do... I mean, I don't mind Starbucks. That one's good. I've gotten it from coffee shops before, too. Okay. I think... I mean, Starbucks is definitely sweeter. So if you're not yeah. a sweet person, I get it without the sugar, for sure. At, like, a regular old... Good old Tulsa coffee shop i normally don't have to say no sugar because yeah it's, it's like a simple not syrup they made yeah. or something <laughs> yeah yeah what about I, yours i think in most consistently throughout my life it's an americano sometimes with cream sometimes not yeah most often not Pretty on my basic. range of orders that would average out as the top as well for me yeah put in my today mm-hmm. matcha green tea latte bougie okay <laughs> Anj, tell me what's trending in your world Okay, not not something leadership oriented people. I'm reading. I've got, I've got two things. I am reading The Alchemist. You're welcome. Because you get to me. Yeah, <laughs> but I asked for it. So uh-huh. This is my this was my motivation, and it's good. I like it. I'm so the second thing that's training my world really at large right now. For some reason, I have no idea why it's popped up in my mind, but it's just classic literature at large. 
Yeah, you've been Big on a fan. kick. I mean, I've always Ooh. really liked classic literature, but I haven't read it since I started reading leadership books. <laughs> pretty much. So high school. She hasn't I, read honestly, high school. yeah, but I really liked them in high school. So, so I found a little collection online. I think I'm gonna get it's like To Kill a Mockingbird, Pride and Prejudice. Ooh, what are the other ones? Uh, Catcher in the Rye Rye is on there. Yep. Um, 1984. 1984 is on there. Oh, Animal Farm. Hmm. That is actually, I think, the next one. Yeah, John Orwell. Isn't it? No, it's George, I think. Then it's John something else. I swear his name started with John. I'm going to look at it. Okay, well, I'm going to say my first one then. Okay. While you look that up. I bought a book the other day. I knew it. What? I was right. What was I looking at that I saw John? Hey, let me talk. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> now I'm stuck on the art, the book that I wanted to read with the author John. Tell me. I have been reading this new book called It's the Manager. Again, I do read other things than leadership <laughs> focused. Um, but the the premise is that the workplace is different than it used to be. And man, I can't agree more. So I'm going to just read this little, uh, the changing demands of the workforce. In the past, it used to be my paycheck, my satisfaction, my boss, my annual review, my weaknesses, my job. Now it's my purpose, my development, my coach, my ongoing conversations, my strengths, my life. And that's the place I want to be, people. All true. I want to lead from that place and that place only. So it's going to change like again in five years when Gen Z hits more of the workplace, honestly. So around the time I actually feel like I'm confident in the type of leading I'm doing. Well, yeah, then it's just going to be a whole new generation. Yeah. You know. Yep. So I recommend that book. It's it's um, it's from Gallup. So it's kind of leading with the, the strengths-based approach. So if you're into strengths finders, I recommend the book. And if you're looking to get into leadership, it's a good one to get. And my second one, while I'm just still scrolling and half listening. John Steinbeck. Sorry, I knew there was a John. There was George Orwell. Stop. Animal Farm. Sorry. Slamming the table for your ears. The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. Somebody listening probably already figured that out by now. But that's, I knew there was a John and a George. And those are the two. Animal Farm and Grapes of Wrath are my next two on my list. I had to look at my Amazon cart. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> Is that is that it? I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, the classic classic literature. <laughs> okay. So my so what's your second one? My second one, and it's all I've been talking about is Ted Lasso. Oh okay? yeah, right. I'm an, yeah. I'm whatever. just gonna say, I was not interested in watching this show. I've heard raving reviews, like one after the other. So I put it on my list, and then I watched the trailer, and I was like, absolutely not. This is so um not me. I'm rolling my eyes. This is so not hard. me. It's a comedy. It's like a 30-minute comedy, which, hello, if you know me at all, that's not my middle name. So She never even gives him a chance, people. I she just, doesn't know her middle I name. I just don't need it. But I need it because I watched it. And I, I mean. You laughed? I loved it. Crazy. Oh, my gosh. I mean, a I comedy made you so laugh? hard at You needed to laugh in your life? But it's not just a comedy. They also, it's like also very heartwarming and self-reflective. 
And that's what people would say of various comedies. And I, I just want to say, if you're deterred from it because it's like a sports show, it's so much more than a sports show. I mean, you rarely even see them play football. I don't think I know anything about this show, but you don't have Apple Plus. I'm no, I don't, and that's so it's super annoying. So I'm basically just boycotting this whole trendish recommendation because it just annoys me that I can't watch it. But all I love it. I'm also trying to boycott it because I am just annoyed that Jamie will watch that and she still won't watch Shit's Creek with it's me. It's not that I'm like actively not watching Schitt's Creek. It's just never that been you're like, not watching Schitt's Creek. <laughs> it's just that it's never been like a hmm, let me sit down and pop it on kind of thing. You know? There are other things I watch. But it was watch. for Ted. Well, the reason I watched Ted Lasso was because my dad. dad was here. Yeah, right. That's and what's I annoying. Needed, like a show that we could both watch and like. Because I'm not, you know, typically we do watch The Bachelor, but we watched that the day before because he also likes that as well. So um, we needed a new show, and I knew that was the perfect thing. Okay. I mean, like, I'll accept it as the recommendation, but I am boycotting it for various reasons that the audience can probably understand. Okay. So. Are you done? Like, is that your only recommendation? Wow, I feel like I should have more now. Well, Jeez, I'm, I'm just kind of surprised you, you're not going to recommend the, the Annie episode. Oh, well, I would. <laughs> but honestly, the only reason I didn't was because it it's, like, hard to find and know exactly where it is because it's from so long ago. So I would basically say, ask me or Jamie for the link, but like, how many, oh my gosh, like four years ago now? 2017? Yeah. Annie did an episode on a podcast called Fun Therapy, which is super confusing because her podcast is That Sounds Fun, but Fun Therapy interviewed her, that podcast Mike she was Foster. on as an interviewer. Yeah. Interviewee. And um, she she does talk a lot about like singleness in the episode. I'm not single. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I haven't, you know, like, I don't, singleness is not necessarily the reason that I had to listen to it. And yet I have never listened to a podcast that I have more deeply resonated with. Truly, I'm really, I was really trying to rack my brain all week. Like, have I listened to a podcast that I more deeply resonate with? No, I haven't. I've listened to it no short of five times in that four years. I remember where I was when I listened to it. The first time? Yeah. yeah. I was like driving through the hills of Tennessee. I wish I was doing something romantic like that, but I was just working out in my garage. So, I but I will take, like, that, too. It was, it still marked me. I, I she think... talks a lot, for, for concept, they use the lens of singleness, but she talks a lot about, like, disappointment in God, mistrust with God or herself. Needs. Need, like, neediness. having to voice needs, fears, like, just some of her, like, life fears and having to navigate that through the lens of, like, even faith. And reconciling the two, holding basically the tension of the two. Like, mm-hmm. there is so much up to it. It's so good. If you want to talk about vulnerability. Yeah, honestly. She is vulnerable. I mean, it is like a gut punch. Yeah, it makes me feel better about anything I said on this episode, actually. So go ahead and listen to that. And I've heard her talk about that episode that she did on another podcast and how, like, insecure she felt still <laughs> about how honest she was in that episode. And I will just say... I think one of the things that I just recently listened to it again and I mean it just killed me she said like there's a difference between being loved by a family and belonging to a family and oh my gosh I think I spoke for like 10 minutes and she just threw that at the end that was just a clincher at the end like so if that gives you any awareness of the depth of Mm -hmm. everything else in between that it was really good, but it can be hard to find if you can't, like, search on your podcast or whatever. So if you want the link, hit us up. Um, Annie F. Downs on Fun Therapy. It was from, like, 2017. It mm-hmm. was really good. 
And I'll just say, like, I recommend that whole first season of Fun Therapy. It gets a little, like, less great, in my opinion, as the years went on. But that whole first season is, like, so good. Like, there's an episode with Caitlin Crosby, the, the owner of Giving Keys, and her, um, like, walkthrough. Uh, she only has, like, one breast. Like, the other one kept, like, deforming it no matter how many surgeries she had. And so she talks a lot about the insecurity of that. There's an episode of with Jay and... I'm forgetting her name, Wolf. But she was 26. They, they were newly married, and she had a stroke. And, I mean, it changed the whole trajectory oh, of their yeah, life. Yeah, so, anyway, the whole first season of fun, uh, fun Therapy is stellar. Yeah, that one's good. Stellar. I mean, if you're looking for a, a vulnerability-focused podcast, that's a great one to do. Yeah. So It was really good. Yeah. Highly recommend. Mm-hmm. That, alongside my classic literature, just got me through my quarantine. And Ted Lasso, if you need a laugh. And Schitt's Creek, if you need a laugh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for tuning in today, guys. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you thought of today's episode by tagging us on social media. This is Trendish. We'll see you soon.